are listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriting. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer. My guest today for episode 156 is Emma Jean Thackeray, who plays jazz trumpet, sings R&B, produces, arranges, runs a label, a very multi-talented person. You're right now hearing Borrow Bop, the opening track to Walrus, an EP from 2016. She's just had her fifth release, though she's calling it her debut album, because it's the first one that's super long. The album is Yellow, and we'll discuss Say Something from that album, then look to a song, Open, that she released as a remix featuring the rapper Blue in 2020, and then to a long instrumental, Um, from the 2020 EP, Um Gang, and we'll conclude by listening to Spectre, another track from the new album. For more information, please see emmajeanthackray.com. For more about this podcast, see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And to support us, I encourage you to go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic, or you can upgrade your subscription directly in Apple Podcasts. So I will have played a little of Baro Bop from Walrus, 2016, your first release. We're going to get pretty quickly to the new stuff, but, you know, that's only a, a five-year jump. Clearly, you'd had a, a lot of experience before sort of becoming the band leader. Can you set us up a little bit about your journey before we get to the, the new album? Sure. How far back do you want to go? I was <laughs> well, born on a Wednesday. Whatever Should we can we do in far? five minutes, let me put it that way. So <laughs> I saw that you had trained under Keith Tippett. I've talked to several King Crimson related people. So everybody knows everybody by at least one step removed, I guess. But you were playing with orchestras. You were playing in jazz bands. Tell me about this leap to actually, okay, I'm going to do my own release now. I'm going to sing on it. You're a trumpet player, but yet you've also done orchestration. I see you playing guitar synth and keyboard on some videos. Yeah. So, I mean, I started playing the trumpet. Well, before that, I was doing brass band stuff from being about eight. It's quite synonymous with the musical landscape of where I'm from in Yorkshire in Northern England. And yes, which sort of added the trumpet to things when I was about 14, started listening to jazz, realized that's what I wanted to do. So I went to the the Royal Welsh to study jazz. Keith Tippett was one of my teachers, as you said. And to even study jazz at that level at a conservatoire, you're kind of already gigging. You're a professional musician, pretty much. And a big part of that is writing your own tunes and, and leading a band and trying to develop those skills as well. So it's something that I've been doing as a teenager, just playing anything and everything that I could manage, including running a band with a friend, like some sort of like, you know, just sort of like pub band, soul music kind of stuff. But still jazz, or was it like, were you already doing this sort of R&B thing that is a good part of your output now? I mean, I was definitely doing things that are part of what's going on now. So I was doing like the sort of funky, solid kind of stuff from being a teenager and there was improv involved, but it wasn't necessarily jazz. But then I was doing jazz stuff that incorporated lots of other things as well. So it was kind of already that I wanted to replicate the stuff that I was hearing. I was listening to a lot of varying music, like a lot of prog, a lot of symphony stuff through to like improvised weird jazz. So I think I was just doing that from day one, really. And, and just as time went on, I was doing it to a, a higher level. We'll explore some more history as we go. We're going to kind of work in reverse chronological order, but we want to start the first single, Say Something, from your first full-length album, Yellow, 2021. But again, this is what, your fifth? You've had lots of shorter releases that... Yeah, little short stories, and this is the first novel. Tell us a little, just for a minute, before we hear it in full, where you're at at this point with the song. I was at a place where I was hearing a lot of noise from people, from other songs, and 
I just felt like there was a lot of people just making noise for noise sake. And I wanted to do something to combat that, to just sort of say like, you know, if you're going to do it, mean it. So do you write these songs on 
piano, an electric piano on something. It's, uh, clearly that main riff was something that you went in with. Could you tell me a little, how do you do a demo of this? Are you writing actual notes out for your band? How is this put together? I'm writing actual notes, yeah, down on, on lead sheets. This one I wrote on, I think on this, I've got this pianet. That's how I heard it in my head. I heard not just the notes, but the the sonic qualities of it and immediately knew that's that's the sound I want. I tend to gravitate towards roads and, you know, the sort of electric piano sounds. I think that's probably the thing, other than playing trumpet, that's the thing that makes people say that, oh, she's very influenced by Mars Davis and so and so. So that's like a real signature of, that's just, I mean, that's just a sound that I enjoy and I'm happy to lean into it for sure. So yeah, write it all down as like a lead sheet. I've got the the structure set out. I've got the melody line, the chords sort of thing. And then everything else, it'll be, I'll sing it to the band or we'll just talk it through. And But when we recorded this whole album, they'd never played it before. We just sort of looked at a couple of tunes for about 10 minutes and then said, okay, great, let's record it. Let's go. So for instance, that hi-hat rhythm right at the beginning, I mean, was that also kind of part of the composition or was that you and the drummer spitballing something? It's part of the composition, yeah. It's usually the grooves and everything. Or is that actually programmed? I, I should say, yeah. How much is this? No, is- it is played by Dougal, yeah. But um, he's sort of playing what I've asked him to. That atmospheric sound at the beginning, the sea, the wind, something like that. Mind. So again, is that kind of, is that you overdubbing or is that, I've seen a live version of this. Seems like your live versions match up pretty well to what I'm hearing on the recording. In this case, was this a largely live band performance that's captured or was there a lot of after the fact messing with it? It's almost all after the fact, pretty much. So it's usually that I've, I've sort of worked backwards where I've made a tune and then it comes to playing it live and I'm having to rearrange it to fit what I've produced and sort of overdubbed and all that kind of stuff. So on the record, there's, you know, there's someone who plays drums. Lyle is on, on the roads or the Wurlitzer, a guy playing tuba, a couple of horn players and stuff like that. But everything else is me and I'm recording it all at different times, different studios, different people. And just I'm the one fitting it all together and saying, okay, right now I want you to pretend that someone else is doing that because that's what's going to happen next week when I record them. And, you know, I'm so, I've got the whole vision in my head and I just have to get everyone to perform their little bit of the jigsaw piece so much so that when everyone heard the record back, they were like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be because they just heard their tiny little portion that they were part of. And then even just the big choir at the end, did you kind of just layer all that yourself first and have other people come in to just fill in, okay, I need a, a low male voice down there? Or is that even, am I just projecting that from the live band and this is actually all you? It's almost all me. There okay. are a few people there to thicken it up, yeah, because if you just sort of overdub your voice over and over again, because it's the same tessature and the same inflections, it starts to sound a little bit phasey or you're not necessarily getting that thickness that you want. It just sounds louder. So the way you can do that, like I've done stuff of like standing different places in the room or I might sort of fiddle with the formant so it sounds like a a little girl singing it or it might sound like a guy singing it or, you know, whatever it is I want to do to tweak it. But I still wanted that huge kind of almost gospelly sound. So I got some people to come and overdub their parts as well. But it's sort of me plus Sure. And then even at the beginning, which is just you, one of the things I do remember seeing in watching a live video of you is that you actually were operating vocal effects pedals on stage that clearly having like the echoes and the, you know, having some even real time control of that was a pretty key part of the sound. You didn't start as a singer. What is your relationship to your own voice in terms of feeling confident putting it out there as the R&B lead singer? 
for me, singing is just like playing the trumpet, except you've got some words. And that was part of the way that I sort of approached this record. It's like, you know, I had some words to say. So, so that's what I did. And I've always sang and my second study at the Royal Welsh was singing. And I've just kind of always done that. And I've done little bits on EPs before, but it's a thing of people saying, you are a trumpet player. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'm playing the trumpet. And (laughs) so more and more, I'm kind of like, but I'm not just a trumpet player. I do this and I do, and I do that. And it's just more and more of, it's not that these things are new to me. It's just new to everyone else because now I'm deciding not to hide them anymore. I approach singing just like I would a trumpet, like the effects pedals that you saw. I use them doing trumpet live and stuff as well. So having that control of like, okay, this is an echo that's happening and I want it to be the timing of it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm doing it all live and that's what's fun to me. Well, and you also just clearly have fun with your voice. At least I assume this is yours. So the, I want to find, find, you do this like very melismatic Bee Gees sounding (laughs) thing, which is just great. But you're pretty controlled about that. It's not like a lot of these maybe just singers who, especially in the R&B world, maybe will go overboard with that. You know, that since clearly from that one note, you have that skill. But yet I don't see that all over every song as the way that you raise energy at the end of the song, say. Yeah, that is me. <laughs> you know, when, when I'm writing music, I'm, I'm just following where my ears are taking me and I'm just trusting myself. And if I'm hearing something like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I just sing it and I just trust that it's the right thing to do. And then maybe there's some tweaks later. But in the moment, I'm just sort of letting it all happen. And yeah, just trying to be really honest about how things are coming out, just letting it happen. Like, is that kind of articulation you're saying you're thinking of your voice pretty much exactly the way melodically that you think of your trumpet? I mean, is it really such that you could have played that same shape with your trumpet or your voice and it's really just a matter of like what seems to fit at the time? Or is there more of just like, okay, now I'm in trumpet mode in terms of how the melodies should be shaped? I think they're one and the same. Okay. Like you said, a lot of singers kind of rely on that melisma and all those runs and stuff. And that's because it's like, I can do it, but I don't necessarily think you should do something because you can like if you're saying oh I can do this it's it's not serving the, the tune necessarily so I think things like that can be more effective if you don't do them for almost the whole time and then they just sort of start, start to creep in and you're building up that intensity that busyness I think it should inform the melody rather than being about showing off for sure let me play a section it's one of the transitions at the end of the second verse this is about a minute 28 in It seems like it ends up in the same key that it started. Am I right? I mean, it's a different section of the song, but it's still the same first chord. Same first chord, okay. yeah. It's moving so far. You do a simpler version of that a little earlier in the song, but it really just, so much of the rest of the song could be kind of a 70s R&B thing. But here, like, oh no, this is actually jazz. We're going to throw in some extra music theory here that sounds like it's going to take off into the stratosphere. But actually, it's just in the video of this that what I think it just, the camera kind of spins around you a little bit. Like it's a dramatic moment. But it's about moving to the next section. It's not about now we're opening up into the giant, completely different song. It should hopefully feel like you said, you know, transition. It's I really wanted these two worlds to join up. So it starts with this kind of very controlled, tightly clipped house kind of thing. And then the second part is much more organic and a bit more wild. Rather than just putting them next to each other, they definitely needed to be a journey into that place. So something that we did in the music video was I really like old sci-fi, retro kind of sci-fi kind of stuff. So Logan's Rum was 
something that we used. This inside world, lots of control, people not being true to themselves. Go to the outside world. It's, it's kind of a new experience. People living as they want to live. That's kind of the way I was thinking about it with the music as well. People making noise, not being true to themselves. And then you know, you're finally saying something with a message. You're finally saying your truth. I wanted there to be this ramp up, this this sort of thing launching you. So I'm building tension. I've got these chords. They're sort of moving in parallel. These big fat sort of sus chords. And then bang, you're in this second section. It's similar to the first section because like you said, we're starting on that same chord. We're starting on this B fat sus chord. So it should, it's got echoes of the beginning, but it's, it is a new world. It's just yourself, but transformed. Well, I also wouldn't have known without that video that synth, you actually played that on guitar synth. Is that right? No, it is just on normal synth, but I just thought for the video, it'd be fun to sort of do like a pretend play along. I see. All right. You were blowing my mind a little too much. There. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm kind of evoking the shapes on the guitar, but it's, they're, they're not the notes, but I'm just kind of just sort of making it seem. It like was a... close enough that I thought <laughs> looking at your fingers that you were playing the actual notes, but I'm sure it was the, the camera was moving around a little more than would make that entirely clear. But yeah, say a little about, I mean, even just that choice of synth sound. I mean, you're saying you're being fond of Logan's Run or something like, okay, well, this is a, a synth patch from 1980 something. Like, at least that's the sound that you're capturing there. And that's across the whole record, this kind of like very sawtoothy, fat, kind of squelchy sound. I wish that they were original synths from that time. Unfortunately, I don't have that at my disposal, but I'm just kind of, yeah, trying to evoke that kind of 70s sound of um, almost like, a, have you heard of a Voyager synth? There's like a couple of that in there, but I don't have a real one. But yeah, I'm trying to get close to what that can bring you. All right. So then you got this launching solo to really your other world here. Let me play a little bit from around 203. You know, I think about that, you know, a love supreme or something. You know, there, there are plenty of examples in jazz where you have you're continuing to solo, but now we're going to have the mantra that's going to come in. And in this case, it's you making your little choir to start this that's going to take us through the end of the song. Yeah. Can you say a little about how you're thinking about that part dramatically? I tend to dislike it when you just leave a soloist to it and all the agency is on them to come up with all the material. I think what you need to do is help them and support them and bring them fresh things to help inject something into what they're doing. So I'm using that riff of the don't just speak, say something as a chorus of the song and like a sort of chanting kind of nurse, a hook, but also it's a vehicle for the solo. It's it's to give the soloist more things to to pick up on, to pick from, to evolve. And I also really like it when just things get bigger and bigger and, and busier and the soloist has got to think of different ways to cut through. So maybe that's, I don't know, playing high pitch or, or some, you know, whatever it is that you, you know, depends on what instrument that you're playing. In this case, that the soloist is is me, but um, I was thinking about it as a live experience. It's like you know, you need something to inject. So if my keys player live is is soloing, it's like I'm not just going to leave him to it. I want to give him some material to draw from and for us to interact with as well. So I might start playing a riff or something like that, and then it's about us listening to each other rather than just being like, okay, go do a solo. I'll see you in five minutes. That tends to be quite boring for me. And you're playing with two keyboard players live with this unit, is that right? Just one, and he's. Playing with two hands, two different things. <laughs> okay. Well, I just, I recall seeing some video that I'm sure was a different lineup from a couple of years ago where you had the same guy you're using now, whose name is Lyle, Lyle, Lyle Barton. Yes. And then a, who was doing, I think, the Rhodes part, and then someone else was doing an organ part. I guess, like, is there any circumstances in which you, in the live thing, like, well, I soloed this on the record, 
I could do it on trumpet. You know, let me just put the one-handed synth to the side and do that. Is that part of your palette, or are you just keeping a little more in a as a live thing, like in your lane? <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what the lane is. I mean, sometimes it's um, Elliot Galvin, fantastic keyboard player. I've known for a very long time. We'll come and do synth stuff sometimes. We just needed to keep the band small just for touring. It just makes things easier. So it's just five of us. You know, if we're playing like that, I could be singing and could play in the trumpet. I'm triggering stuff on sampler. So there are times where I like I'm playing the trumpet with one hand and pressing knobs and whistles with the, with the other hand. So the director was your lane in terms of doing all these things that will, you know, get us into the next part of the song with the sample or the, the solo instrument, as opposed to I'm also going to hold down the rhythm keyboard. Like, no, I, I haven't at least seen you do that. Would that be distracting in terms of the singing while playing thing? Like I've done that before. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely also giving that hand single that, okay, we're moving to this section or I want you to do this or there's a, a sort of little offshoot of something that I, I did for a while called Sub Ra. So it's like playing some raw tunes, but with like speed garage mm. kind of sounds. And that was, I was playing keyboard and singing and doing stuff at the same time or in Say Something, we did a version on uh, Jules Holland show where I'm playing the guitar and singing. And I would take my guitar all the time if it wasn't a bit of a bummer to get around through customs and all that kind of stuff. It makes, it's hard enough even with the trumpet, you know, I've definitely got to, a destination and then open the case and see my trumpet all bent up. So <laughs> I don't want to do that with another instrument as well. So talking about these transitions still, let me play around uh, 314 when everything, when you move to the acapella section. I'm just thinking about how you make the drums and the rest of the band go away because you could choose to do that in a big flourish here. You kind of, it drops out in a very, like, it's a little hard to hear even when exactly are they stopping? Like, was it, was there manual fading in the mixing process to make that smooth that you really wanted it to be more, just less obvious than a, now we're all going to clap and (laughs) have the, the band stop. And now everybody's singing together. You know, it's less cheesy than that. Well, there is a version where everyone just kind of stops. And I kept in a little bit of the, at the end where like the drummer's putting down the sticks and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's have a break. Like I kept that in. Oh. But, um, but obviously I was never going to release that. That was just for fun. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm bringing everyone down. I'm sort of fading everyone because I really wanted it to feel like the choir was growing out of it and that they were the focus. So they're, you know, the, I, and I start that process quite early. Like they're constantly getting a little bit louder and then the harmonies are growing and then you know, things are getting bigger, thicker. The stereo panning is, has gone from quite narrow and is coming further and further out and further to the side. So there's this constant growth that you should feel. And then, um, yeah, by the end, the rhythm section and everyone else is just sort of, hopefully it's not too obvious. It shouldn't sound too much like they're deliberately fading. You'd just be focusing on the vocals and hearing them sort of lift out of this sound world and becoming their own thing. So I know that some of your catalog on Spotify, as I look through it, is like, you doing a remix of somebody else's tune or the next one actually is you doing a remix of your own tune for this song. Did you do the mixing all yourself or were you standing next to somebody or how I'm even wondering since it was produced largely during COVID times, like you were seemed to be describing a lot of it as you layering stuff in a room by yourself. What was sort of the production process of this one? Like I'm doing it on my own. So even the mixing, the final mix. Mixing is all me as well. Yeah. The only project that's not been mixed by me is one called Um Yang. But um, I sort of told them what I wanted and then we were playing it straight into vinyl. So I couldn't be mixing 
in the other room at the same time. But other than that, everything is always me because I, I sort of see the mixing as just as important as the production and the composition. They're all coming from the same place. It's time once again for the sponsor messages. And I think you can guess who my first sponsor is. It's Masterclass, where you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere at your own pace. Over 100 classes to choose from, available to you anytime, anywhere on iOS, Android, desktop, Apple TV, Amazon, Fire TV, and Roku. You can listen to them really fast, like I like to do. Just skip around willy-nilly between different courses, or dive deep, take advantage of the community aspect, the supplemental notes and things. Over a dozen wonderful music courses by people much too famous to be on this podcast. And there is always something for everyone in your family. My daughter was watching one by Tan France, Teaches Style for Everyone, so I checked it out. Watching the lecture on how to choose your own style, on the difference between fashion and style, on being influenced by someone else's style versus actually copying them, creating a mood board. Because, yeah, as a performer, style is something I should probably think more about. And even though my wife picks good things for me and I use Stitch Fix now, so they help me avoid horrible things and help me explore. But really, it should be my own responsibility And that is a mildly life-changing realization that I would not have gotten were I not delving into this deep, deep well that is Masterclass. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass. And as a nakedly examined music listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash examined. That's masterclass.com slash examined for 15% off Masterclass. I'm thinking since you're listening to this show, it's safe to say you love listening to podcasts and love listening to music, you can get both of those in large, wonderful quantities on Amazon Music. With 10 million free podcast episodes to listen to, and thousands of music stations and top playlists to stream for free, and no matter what you're listening to, you can go hands-free with Alexa. If you're like me and you want your music on demand and ad-free, you have to try Amazon Music Unlimited. You already use Amazon, I know it. And whatever other streaming service you're using right now, or especially if you're not using one at all, go ahead and try Amazon Music Unlimited. You get it Free for three months. That's unlimited access to over 75 million songs, plus podcasts, plus music videos, etc. You can listen offline. You've got unlimited skips. You can listen anywhere. And Alexa is always there for you to go hands-free with. I have a giant pile of CDs behind me. I have vinyl. I don't listen to any of them. I only listen to streaming music at this point because it's there. It's convenient. If you've never tried Amazon Music Unlimited, now is a great time for a limited time New customers can try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months, no credit card required. Just go to Amazon.com slash N-E-M-P-O-D. That's Amazon.com slash N-E-M-P-O-D to try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months. Amazon.com slash N-E-M-P-O-D. Renews automatically, cancel anytime, terms apply. Well, let's get the second song out there. So this is a remix, but it's a remix of your own song. This is Open, released as a 2020 single featuring Blue. In other words, Jonathan Barnes III, California rapper. But it was a complete song already. I saw that as a B-side to also 2020 Raindance single. And on that version, you had your singing throughout and you have a postlude, you know, a second part of it, a continuation instrumental part of it. Can you say a little about we're going to play in full the remix featuring Blue. Then we might play some, you know, while we're talking, some of the chunks from the old version to talk about the differences. Can you say a little about sort of the process and why you chose to, I'm going to get a California rapper to go on this one as opposed to, you know, keeping your own vocals, for instance? I wanted a rapper originally and it just 
you know, schedules weren't lining up and I just kind of got to a point where I was like, well, you know, I write poetry. I started writing poetry before I write, I wrote music. So I'll just, I'll just do that and do some spoken word. And, and that, and that was fine. And then, um, Blue was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm around. So I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And I've sort of been faffing with this tune and, you know, let's do another version. The tune open was actually me sampling myself or at least my band. So there's a tune on the rain dance EP called open again. It's, it's like a bass line and some chords. They're just sort of moving in, in crotchets or uh, I've forgotten what you, you call them in North America. Quarter notes? Sure. <laughs> Different terminology. And then the drummer Dougal is just kind of like using that as a, as a vehicle to interact with and just sort of take off as like a launch pad. And there's a bit where, he's, you know, we're just sort of messing around with some grooves and stuff. And I had these chords and then I just sampled them as if I was taking a record off the shelf. Although, yeah, it feels a lot better because I actually had the separate stems and I had the permission from myself to do it. So that felt good. <laughs> Yeah, and I sort of took a, a little bit of the chords, made it into this like six beat kind of section and played around with the grooves and there's me doing a little bit of drums on it as well. And then Dougal came over and recorded another layer. So there's like, should feel like there's two drummers in either ear. One kind of playing straight and the other playing swing. It's a very weird, shambling, but still very funky beat. Basically, the roads never moves. That's not a part where like it's played live. It's just sampled chords. So they're like the anchor, really. And then the drums, like you said, straight and swung and think like the way that the time feel is, is being stretched. So it should hopefully make you kind of do this like wave sensation, like physically. And then I'm, and then I'm playing the bass on it and I'm doing a bit of both. So I'm playing around with being ahead or behind or on, just depending on what's going on in the song, just try and bring different feel in different sections. Open up your mind and think, open up your eyes and see Everything you believe ain't really how it really be You feeling me, but are you fulfilling me? The realest me, the ones, ones on the surface can't see They say he a prophet, but do they really know who unlocked it? The goddess that God is got me, and I'll be old To reality or open to imagine things, fantasies, ecstasy, euphoric elopement, utopia. Will you let me open you to show you the powers I possess? For hours I'll confess and open up to you by showing love to you. is open, my time is open, the juice pours out as if the vine is open, the vine is my mowing, I'm open, I'm hoping you can get open too, over juice, not wine, on life alone, we can get high, so high we can fly through the sky, and I am open.
what I was calling the postlude, this open again, you're saying that was the source material. This whole song in both of its forms was an extract from that full band jam. So say the drum explosion at the beginning, you know, it sort of starts out with this very clattery thing, which in your version, you're doing spoken word, even over that part, right from the beginning here, we, it, you know, it focuses more on just the instrument, but, uh, those drums were added after the fact, or that's part of the original jam. That was part of, yeah, those original sessions and just sort of link them together to make it feel like it's this loose intro. And then it's like, bang, we drop and then we'll go straight into the groove, but it's, it's not real. So there's just bass on this. There's no tuba, even though it's, I guess maybe you added some distortion on the bass or something so that at least when it started, I thought that I was hearing tuba again. Yeah, I'm just sort of playing it in that way where I'm sort of playing it quite woolly. Yeah, putting it through a little bit of tape and stuff like that just to bring out some of the harmonics. The cool thing I really like about tuba is that it's just got stacked harmonics. It sounds absolutely huge. A bass guitar doesn't have that, but you can kind of fake it a little bit with a bit of tape and stuff to, to draw some of those harmonics out. So the way that it ended up with Blue doing the verses and, you know, that it's just the meaning is supplied by your chorus, but because he had a pretty different interpretation of, you know, where to go from there. I guess before I play a little bit of your lyrics, can you tell about the process of communication? He heard your version. Was he paying attention to that or was he, or did you just sort of send him the version or bring him in like just to listen to the chorus and come up with whatever he wanted to write based on that? Yeah, just, just he he sort of had the version with the chorus still in there, the the words open. It's like do your thing, man. Interpret it how you want. For me, it was about through stress and through hard times, like just trying to remain open, remaining open to love, to experiences. Like don't just put up your walls if you're struggling with something. You've got to still remain open and don't let these external forces close you down. And I don't think Blue's interpreting it too far from that, to be honest. It's- yeah, well, and I see you got to that by the end of your lyrics. Actually, let me just play though. The first verse of your original of the just open, not open remix. To be open. To let someone move through. To be battered and bruised. To be open for you. To be used as a crush for you to stand up with my legs and barely hold my own. To be your back and a shoulder. To push my arm up the hill with you sat on top. You're kind of setting it up, be battered and bruised, to be used as a crutch for you to stand up when my legs can hardly hold up my own, to be your back and shoulder, to push a boulder up the hill you sat on top. You know, this is the stuff that you're going to get over by the end of the song. But the way it's put initially was, I mean, even though you're saying, yes, be open and all these terrible things are going to happen to you. Like it's sort of, it sounds snarky (laughs) and ironic the way it's initially put. I like writing stuff in a way where, I step back a little bit from writing to you directly or saying I and things like that, just so that people can interpret it the way that they want. So I, I was thinking about like, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're a single parent and you're raising a kid and you've got, you're having some really difficult times, or it could be that, I don't know, maybe your partner's ill and you're the sort of, everything's on your shoulders or the pressure or, you know, whatever the situation is where you feel like there's an imbalance, it can really harden you. So for me, it was more like, rather than being like, okay, and and then you're open. It's just like, remember to try and be this. Like, this is something that you should try and be working on. It's almost like a sort of, yeah, something to aspire to rather than something you're necessarily already doing. 
Yeah. So by the end of the song, which is only a minute 40 in, it's not like this is a long journey, but by the third time that you're speaking, then it's to be open, to be patient for the unconditional, for the reason, let down those walls and be open. Is it no guys, no guard? I couldn't quite hear what you were saying. No guard. Yeah. No guard. Okay. So yeah, by that point, it's exactly what you're expressing. So yeah, then turning to sort of blues take on it. He's got some of that in there, but from the first start, it's be open to me. He's like, you know, the man. (laughs) And then you're responding, even though this was something you had already recorded and you didn't know what you were responding to. Yes, I'm open. You know, it sort of sets up this dialogue, which I don't know. How did you feel about that? Obviously, you liked it enough that you felt this expressed what you were doing enough that I don't know. Did you end up coaching him at all on this or you really just left it to him? Yeah, I really just left it to him for him to do his own thing. I mean, I see what you're saying. Like, I think it's definitely, we could think about it and analyze it as in it's like, oh, this is a a woman's approach and this is a man's approach. Like the woman's is, this is something that I want to try and do and I'm working hard. And the man's is like, this is what I'm doing and you're going to do this with me. It does definitely feel like that. And I think that's fine. You know, people bring their own characters, their own experiences. And yeah, I absolutely loved everything you brought to it. Well, I liked having both versions to sort of round out the story. To really understand this, why don't you listen to two versions that are similar enough that they're redundant of each other musically, but yet, as far as the remix goes, it was just swapping in his vocal, right? Or was there other things that were tweaked about the sound of it? I didn't notice anything offhand. There are a couple, yeah, subtle things. So like the the vocals are mixed slightly differently and I'm playing around with some like phases and stuff towards the end of phrases just to kind of allow them to melt at the end of the choruses. I think the kick is a little bit more prominent. It's just, I mean, it's very subtle tweaks. It's not something that you would necessarily notice and if it's just on a first listen. And then you have, again, kind of that 1980s synth string sort of thing as a wall of sound. Actually, let me play a little bit of that. And I am oh. Just the thing that, you know, in addition to the wall of vocals, we're going to add this fake strings. I don't know. Yeah. Can you say a little about sort of your thoughts in how you're arranging this and what that sound and that choice is supposed to be doing there? Just to lift everything and just make it sound big. Like for me, it's like if you're going to make a chorus or a hook, it's like, let it be that, you know, don't need to shy away from it. So it's like a couple of synth patches. It's like a saw kind of thing. And then like some almost string-like sounds, like you just said. And just, just to make it sound really thick and it should sort of fill out the whole production and like a big sound hug. I've kind of done a little bit of side chaining to what's going on in the low end to kind of give it this wave. It's not too static. It's sort of moving with the groove. It's not so loud that it kind of sticks out. I'm guessing that maybe sometimes... If you're just sort of putting it on and listening passively, you might not notice it, but it's it's there in every chorus and it's just growing and growing and I'm sort of changing the voicings and, and pushing them up and just making them a bit bigger every time. Then we wrap this up with the trumpet solo, which we really haven't talked about your trumpet playing. Let me just play a little bit of it, 215. So there's so much rhythmic thickness at that point, you know, very stuttery. How is this affecting, is this an actual trumpet played low or is this a cornet or something else? It's trumpet, yeah. And I just let myself just play what I was hearing. I just, just improvised it, did a couple of different takes of like an improvised pass and then chose what I thought was the hippest one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
and again, I'm trying to think about how you were saying that you think of your vocal and your trumpet as one of the same compositional instrument, which I still think that you have different trumpet solos and different things. In fact, we're going to get next to Um from Um Yang as the last fold song we're going to discuss here, which has, as the song goes on, your co-front horn player on saxophone just goes, you know, into a full-on crazy solo. And you join that a little bit at the end on trumpet, but for the most part, you keep to a very vocal, you know, even if it's a theatrical, like, cat's crying, an identifiable melody as opposed to Coltraining it up. You know, I guess that's sort of that Miles was so lyrical with his playing that even when he's, you know, of course he did a lot of fast scattershot stuff, but, you know, sort of better known for something that is vaguely singable. Is that still how you're like in this solo? You're still kind of thinking of something that you could sing it, you could do it on kazoo, you could do it through a, a MIDI microphone, you know, any number of things would be able to make that sound approximately. That's the way I like to approach improvised solos that it should feel singable it should feel just like another melody it's just that it's a melody that you happen to be writing instantaneously and then you can bring in the busyness and the sort of culture any kind of runs and stuff i think for effect i think that's where i like to use them it's like you're building up intense intensity you're using these runs for effect rather than being like you know look how fast i can play not that coltrane did that i'm just he is accused of that <laughs> by people that don't like him that much the very end of this song you've got some nice mixing trickery that you know the whole thing gets kind of swallowed by reverb it's a really nice dreamy effect i'm sort of stuttering the delays i'm sort of playing with the timing of moving it from it being like these like eighth note kind of quaver things that are triggering through the delays and then what that does it kind of it's like another sort of wave effect just like with the drums where you've got this straight and the swung thing that should be pulling your body side to side that's what the delay does it's almost like a like a lurch if you imagine like you know on a roller coaster you've got this that's the feel I was kind of going for. Just like it was like the tapes come unraveled in your tape machine. So clearly some of what you do is related to like house music, to techno and stuff. But is there any thought, even having rap on this, of this being something that could be used in a dance hall? Or do you know of it actually being played this way? Or is just the fact that it has this stuttery beat and stuff? No, you're playing with those influences, but it's not actually going to serve that function in the way that Something you released that says 15-inch mix, you know, that clearly could go be playing in a, in a house. I've seen when I was at uh, Trinity Lab and do my master's, it's like half a music college, half a dance college, and it focuses on like contemporary dance. And I th- I've seen people dance to some crazy stuff. So who knows? <laughs> I think it's, um, it's not something that I necessarily intended for like, you know, to be played in a club for people to dance to. But I was kind of thinking more of like, you know, someone on the sofa with the headphones on sort of nodding their head. But I love that people can experience my music in lots of different places and, and listen in different ways, interact in different ways. I'd love to see people dancing to that if, if they could come up with uh, some choreography for it. Maybe that's a challenge. <laughs> I just didn't know if there was a particular like marketing thing or a whole different part of the music industry you're dealing with when you're like, okay, now I'm going to get a thing that's going to go out to all these clubs. The project that you've done that are is it rain dance that has the video that's just everybody dancing through the whole thing? That on, yeah, on the track movement. I mean, movement. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yes. I'm never intentionally saying, okay, this is for clubs or this is for that. It's just, yeah, just sort of let the music come out, how it comes out. And I think because I listen to lots of different stuff, I'm influenced by different stuff. There's going to be an array of places for that, you know, movement. And that record is, has got a lot of that kind of like, yeah, nineties rave. That's in me. That spirit is in me. 
And I just, yeah, I thought the footage was so hilarious. <laughs> so I just had to use it. So that's actually from one of your shows, the movement video? No, it's not. It's some like stock rave footage that someone took in the 90s, absolutely gurning on ecstasy, which I love. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yes. Well, I like that. And then that you, for Borrow Bop that we played at the beginning, I think it was that, the video for that is is old aerobics video. Oh yeah, for, for, um, for Walrus. Yeah, for Walrus. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's the title track to that original thing. Yes, I love that that repurposing of that one is obvious. That is not actually you know taken at your show. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got a couple more actually of like dance sort of footage that I've made. I did make a video for Barabop at one point. I just never released it, but maybe maybe I should. I don't know. We'll see. So this is also you and your tech geekiness putting these videos together yourself and syncing this up as you know as well as doing the mixing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> It is a good skill to have. You're all, all around and you run your own label. We haven't said that yet. <laughs> what does that actually entail? I mean, this is why I was asking about like having to send it out to different promoters or different. I just don't even know enough about how, well, you clearly hired a promoter that got in touch with me, but how is this actually like you're playing jazz festivals, but you have clearly like a multi-genre fusion sort of sound has that created any problems or just opportunities in terms of like actually as a labeled person figuring out how to get your music heard? It can be both for sure. I've had a lot of people say like, oh, you should have different aliases for the different things that you make. And that's something that I definitely don't want to do. I understand the That's too complicated. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I get it because then it's like, oh, this stuff people know and they can gravitate towards just that because they don't like this stuff or, you know, I get it, but it's, for me, it's, that's what I'm trying to work every day on not doing. I don't want to compartmentalize anymore. I'm trying to just be completely myself and letting my, yeah, just trusting myself and trusting my instincts. And if that's techno today and free jazz tomorrow, then that's just who I am and, and what I want to do. But in terms of like, yeah, running the label, it's, it's a lot of emails, <laughs> to be honest. Like it's, there is definitely less time for, creative stuff but it feels worth it because I, I'm in control I've got a fantastic team a small team but a fantastic team who you know share in the vision and working on you know with the things that they're really great at so promo team that it, I can't do that I'm not good at that so like that's where I can sort of relinquish control and be like okay go do what you do but overall I'm, I'm the sort of person saying this is what I want to do these are the places that I want to try and get to and and then some of it is just it's just organic as well if that's like playing a jazz festival or playing like an indie thing, I'm doing the first iteration of the Pitchfork Festival in London later in the year, which is kind of more of an indie thing. And I think what I do fits there too. And, you know, we'll just see what happens. And I'm sort of up for anything in a way. Like if you want me to go play a folk festival in Japan, I'll go do it and I'll have a great time. Let's get to this third song here. And I think we're going to kind of front load this because the song is over 10 minutes long. So in case people tune out in the middle of it, let's say most of what we're going to say about it <laughs> before it plays. So this is Om, the first half of Om Yang, which is only 2020, but I guess this sounds like a different era. This could be a different alias, that it's more of the, I don't want to say traditional jazz, but at least kind of the bitches brew jazz, which, you know, you've got some of that right on your new album. You got, you know, Mercury, the opening tune of the new album is complete. That is a jazz tune <laughs> a, for sure. <laughs> a thing that I'll say drove my wife out of the room when I was playing. You know, as opposed to <laughs> some of this other stuff that's very accessible to somebody that has no liking for jazz at all. But yeah, say a little about, you said you, you do this entire one as a live to tape. Straight into vinyl. So yeah, I've, I'd never worked at like that before and the opportunity came up and yeah, we just jumped on it. It was such a different 
studio experience to anything that I've had before. I'm usually sort of doing stuff on a shoestring, doing it for cheap, you know, doing stuff in, in my studio or someone else's, but for just a short amount of time. And there's no time to even rehearse because you just got to do it. Like, just got to get it done quickly. But this was like, you know, we had a couple of days and we sort of played through it. No one had heard the music before. And we actually got, you know, a couple of hours to go through it and let it settle before we started recording, which was great. It's just often a luxury. And then, you know, someone ordered some delicious lunch and you sort of feel looked after and cared for and everything in the studio is like shiny and fantastic and the top quality. And Lyle's like, oh my God, this is the best rose I've ever played. And wow, it's, it's just so nice to play. And everyone hopefully felt looked after and like it was a, a special experience. It was all live. I mean, usually I would overdub like the percussion myself or things like that. But because this was live, got in some friends to come and do those parts. And we just, yeah, we went for it and we treated it like a live gig, really. So I see this was a seven piece band. So these were not people. So is it, how do you pronounce the saxophonist name? Soweto Kinch. Okay. Was this a functioning band in any other way? Or was this purely this particular group of seven was for this session and that's it? It's basically my band plus a little bit more. It's the same drummer, Dougal, same tuba player, Ben, same keyboard player, Lyle. And then the two percussionists, I will tour with either one of them. So it just depends on who's available, really. And then Soweto was someone that I'd never worked with before, but I've, you know, I've admired him for so long. He's not as known outside of the UK, but in the UK, if, if you're into jazz, like he's an absolute god. He's fantastic. And you know, he is a, an amazing rapper. He's a great producer. He does stuff from like, you know, real trad kind of, you know, 20s swing up to like, you know, making hip hop and freestyling. And he's incredible. And I've been looking for something to work on with him for a while. And this just felt like the perfect thing. The whole EP is is about, we, maybe we can talk about the concept a little bit more in a second, but just to sort of sum it up and be reductive, it's about balance. I thought our sounds balanced each other. I'm quite sort of minimal. I like to play in a way it's like sparing, but effective when I do play. That I'm trying to be very conscious to just say a, a little and say a lot with that little. And he's very busy and frenetic and just kind of has this wild, soaring sound. And I thought together we'd get the effect that I wanted of like, yeah, the busy and the simple and you know, find that balance. So yes, you were mentioning, so it's not yin-yang, it's om-yang. And each of the titles has these little symbols. Tell me a, more, a little about the ideology of the song here. Um yang is basically just like the um is the Korean word for for yin basically it is yin and yam it's just just like different and um a less cliche the, version of <laughs> rendition yeah it's just more the version that I know and mm-hmm. the the symbols are hangul so that's Korean typography I grew up with a lot of Taoist philosophy and from my dad and it tended to be you know the sort of the Korean versions of it like a lot of those messages I knew the flag from being very very young and knowing what all the symbology around the flag meant and on all these different ways that balance is is part of yeah just the way of, of thinking there and that was with me from being very very young and essentially growing up not realizing that I was sort of being groomed into being a dad. <laughs> Although me and my, my dad never said I had to live my life in a certain way. He was just giving me these messages that he thought would help shape my life. And and he was absolutely right. You know, I, I don't think I would be here if I didn't know those messages. I think it's got me through some dark times knowing that everything balances. Whenever there's darker, I'm looking for the for the light and trying to find the message in a difficult situation. I'm always trying to find that balance. So it's not something that I really realized how important it was until I was sort of in my mid-twenties. It was just part of me. And, and then it started to become a very conscious thing that I realised was, was part of me.
Clearly, you know, as you've been describing, what your lane is, is that you have a very well-balanced, I mean, the fact that you have, you're not just, I'm the creative type and I am attached to my trumpet and <laughs> you hook me up to a microphone and I will, I will, play, you know, <laughs> I will enter the magic land. Like, yes, you have that, but you're also architecting the whole thing. You're also running the band as a business unit. You're running the label as a business unit. You're making your own videos, clearly navigating multiple social scenes in terms of marketing and other stuff. So. That seems a well-balanced approach. You've put out a lot of stuff in the last couple of years. Is the rest of your life actually balanced or you're like 98% <laughs> of your energy is going into your career now? Yeah, I think you've nailed it. I think about 98% <laughs> of my energy is on my career. I mean, balance is something that I definitely have in some areas and I don't in some others. And it's a process. Yeah, I mean, I've got that side of like, you know, try and set up the whole logistical side of everything so that when I get on stage, I can be this sort of floaty creative type and just be in the moment um, because all the other work is done before. Except when you're reaching down to tweak the reverb in real time and stuff. There's still a lot of... But, I mean, I mean, but that kind of stuff for me, that's another instrument. It's, another, uh-huh. it's, it's part of the performance. I'm not thinking about it as like a, okay, I'm just, I'm leaving that mode to join engineering mode. It's like, it's part of the same thing for me. Like if you had to do lighting cues, which I do know bands, the performer will be a little too involved with, you know, how everything is supposed to look. I've, I've not gotten into that. Maybe I shouldn't get into that because otherwise I will end up with a, another sort of like desk on stage and I'll be twiddling <laughs> with stuff. But um, yeah, the rest of my life isn't, isn't that balanced. I think I definitely work too much. And it's something that I am trying to rectify. For a long time, it was just that, you know, I was just working so hard. And when you're emerging and you're sort of at the beginnings of, well, it wasn't the beginnings of my career because I've been playing gigs for money since I was about 16. But this new side of me is like being like, okay, I'm an artist and I this is what I do. Then, it, you know, it was the beginnings of everything, trying to establish myself. And you have to take a lot of stuff for free, for cheap. And uh, I was just taking as many opportunities as I could possibly fit in. And, and even some more that I couldn't fit in that I ended up sacrificing for, you know, particularly here in, in the UK, like fees tend to not be very good for shows and stuff. It tends to be that the better fees are in Europe. And then that comes with whole other sides of stuff where like, I, you know, I'm on tour, but I'm also TMing and, you know, all these other things that draw your energy. But it's something that I'm working on and I think if there's if there's anywhere where there's like failures, it's it's probably in my personal life rather than my musical life. Not failures as such, just stuff that I know that I'm working on. I read a lot about like psychology and, you know, I am actively like, you know, working on myself, trying to always be the best me that I can be and all that, you know, that kind of stuff and other terms that a therapist might use. But that's where the things are that I'm actively working on. I feel like the music stuff is kind of, I know what my abilities are and you know I feel confident in what I can do and I feel excited about what I can't do and I'm learning to do. So the other side of it is definitely I need to try and find more time and energy to put into because I can be sat in my studio at the desk doing a project and realize that I haven't eaten in 48 hours and or slept <laughs> or you know just because I've just got so much to do that's the way I've had to do stuff and I'm trying really hard now to slow down and that was something that the pandemic really helped with. All the music was written before and most of it was recorded before. 
But then during that time, I could do a few more overdubs. Like I had to wait quite a while to do my vocal stuff because I, I had COVID and then I had to sort of wait about eight months before I could even sing again. Geez, well, I'm glad your lungs seem to be back in order. They are mostly apart from the occasional coughing fit when things are damp and the UK is very often damp. That can sort of like, yeah, bring little recurrences. But yeah, try to slow down, try and take weekends where I could just really trying to put more energy into the other hobbies that I have. So things like football, I'm massively into football and that's something where it's like, okay, phone's off, no more music. I'm just focusing on football. I think it's just the kind of mind that I have where, you know, I can't just watch the football. Like I'm massively into like all the tactics and statistics and all that kind of stuff. Like I want to know everything about the game as well. And like lots of different sort of more academic side of it as well. So I don't know, it's a gift and a curse, isn't it? Like it makes me who I am but also it's a struggle to live with sometimes. <laughs> One of the things that excited me, why I couldn't just you know let the original version of Open not be included in any way in here is because when you're doing that, the poetry rap section, then you have the opportunity to let more of your ideas out unfiltered as opposed to the more mantra-like lyrics of Say Something, of the song that we're going to end with, Spectre. You know, these are very powerful, like individual sentences but there's only so many ideas you can put into that. Whereas if you just are allowed to, as in a rap, or if you write way too many lyrics per verse, as I often do, just to actually have ideas and thinking evident in there, as opposed to just the end product, the spiritual thing that you're repeating over, often literally over and over to yourself in the song. Again, it's like that balance of like the extremes of that's, you know, I like both those things. I like having this like little riff that's a repetitive thing and it's like a mantra. And then you've also got like very wordy kind of stuff where it's, you know, it is a poem like it's like, you know, there's, there's rhyme, there's, re- there's meter, there's all these different things that you can pick apart and get into the minutiae of. I like having that. I also kind of, there's a bit of me that loves doing the opposite of what you say I do, if that makes sense. So if someone's like, oh, you're a trumpet player, it's like, fine, I'm going to put out a record where I'm barely playing the trumpet. Or, oh, you know, Emma Jean always has these, mantras it's like fine i'm gonna i'm literally gonna release a 12 inch of just poetry i like that kind of contrariness a little bit as well as i find a bit of joy in that maybe wait till your fifth or sixth full album before you do a whole album of spoken word against uh ambient synth (laughs) or something you know if i just interviewed steve kilby from the church who's puts out you know three albums a year since 1980 and like when you have that kind of output like yes do a whole album of (laughs) To satisfy this little thing, but right now to keep the momentum going forward, which you seem to have like a lot of momentum and, you know, a really great original sound that the fact that you can do jazz festivals and indie festivals. And this last thing I wanted to leave folks with Spectre was just a song that just jumped out for me from Yellow because it's got some lush orchestrations in the middle. Like clearly, you know, your training, is it actual strings or is it? It's real strings. Yeah, it's all real instruments across the whole record. That's what I figured. But also a very mantra-like R&B refrain with a nice chorus, you know, of voices over it at different parts. And there's also a very nice live version of this, which leaves out the shimmery, nice guitars, but is otherwise intact. I like the guitar parts in the middle of this. Me too. It just got a bit difficult for me to, because I'm playing like, I think it's about five different guitar parts <laughs> and I just couldn't choose one. So I was like, well, I won't do any of them then. I'll just make it a different version and, you know, hopefully it'll just people will be excited to hear a slightly different version of it. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Good luck to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for your time. Thank you for nodding out with me. It's, it's not often you get to talk about stuff in such detail. It's, yeah, it's wonderful to do that. All right, here is Spectre. There's a Spectre in my house 
Thanks so much to Emma Jean. As much as I love talking to the music veterans I normally have on the show, it's also very cool to talk to somebody who is just right in her golden years, though she's really done a lot in the last five years and had a lot of experience before that. Still, you get the feeling of this is a work in progress, and I'm very excited to hear what she does next and how she will turn out a decade or two from now. You can hear more, watch videos at emmajeanthackray.com. My next interview is with Gerald V. Casale of the legendary Devo, and I was so pleased just yesterday to do a recording with Dar Williams, just one of the best lyricists, beautiful voice, just a classic singer-songwriter, cannot recommend her stuff enough. You can get all my episodes by going to nakedlyexaminedmusic.com, hopefully subscribing directly to the Nakedly Examined Music feed. And remember, you can get all those episodes ad-free by upgrading either through Apple Podcasts, which actually will get you ad-free versions of three of my podcasts, so that's a real bargain. Or to support just this one, go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. But whether or not you do those things, thank you all so much for listening to this. Please support these artists. Hope you're all doing well. Until next time, keep on music. And this is Mark Linsenmeyer signing off. <laughs>